you have your Bibles, if you'd open them with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. We are um, back in the book of Romans after some, some breaks. Uh, Whit uh, got us started back in the book of Romans last week and was thankful for his message that he delivered to us. And if you weren't here, there were a lot of folks traveling. I would encourage you to, to go back and to listen to that. Uh, I think you'll be greatly encouraged um, by that word. You know, it's interesting as we, as we open up uh, this text this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk about suffering and, and maybe in true style. We're just, we ended with verse 17 and today we're going to get all the way through verse 18. Uh, kind of. We'll do a little more than what we have, than that, and we'll see where Gary wants to pick up and go back and look at. But, you, you know, I, the question that I want to be in the forefront of your mind as we begin this morning is, is how do you view suffering? How do you view suffering? As Tracy said, you know, uh, suffering is a part of the Christian life. Uh, not only does it just happen that we are either uh, entering into suffering, uh, entering out of suffering, or in the middle of suffering, um, but it's, it's planned and ordained and it's told to us in the Bible that this is what the Christian life is. And, and so we're going to dig in and, and talk about that this morning. You know, one of, the things that, uh, one of the things that I think Gary and I have heard over the years, the, the several years that I've been here, one of the things that we have heard and is such a false statement. And I don't, you don't see Gary Phillips get angry that often, but I see him get frustrated when he considers this. Um, you know, one of the things that have been levied sometimes against our church is that, uh, you know, they're... Perfect people, you know, Signal Mountain folks, this sort of thing, no suffering. And uh, someone who would levy that sort of claim against us doesn't know us very well. Not only are we far from perfect, um, but Gary has often said, and, and he's right, you know, as we preach on suffering, as I've gotten to know and love you all, we could really kind of go almost row by row um, as, we, as we look at you all's lives and the suffering that you all have gone through, and even Tracy being up here and reading our scripture, as, as Tracy and I have become friends and run together, I've learned so much about suffering through his vulnerability as he was going through cancer. Um, and so this message, Paul, this message this morning is important, and Paul talks quite a bit about suffering, and there's a, a reason for that. And so what I want to start with, as I said this morning, is what do you think about when you think about suffering? And as we look this morning, uh, Paul, here in the book of Romans, is talking about maybe a different type of suffering than you may be thinking about. Um, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the, in, in, according to these verses, this type of suffering, there are many types of suffering, right? This type of suffering that Paul is going to deal with this morning is a type of suffering that only Christians deal with. And that may sound a little odd to you, but there, there are types of suffering that only Christians deal with. For example, non-Christians are not persecuted for their faith. Makes sense? Because they don't have faith, so they're not persecuted for their faith. Um, the, the, the suffering in view here this morning is not necessarily the suffering that is due to the consequences of our actions. Meaning, uh, if I were to uh, walk down this morning and uh, 
steal Gary's wallet and run off with it. Uh, and Scott O or whoever chases me down and throws me in jail. This is not the type of suffering if I was in the jail cell saying, Oh God, you don't love me, you won't let me out of this jail. Right? Now those are versions of suffering and God cares about those things. I don't want you to hear me saying that God does not care about that. But there's a type of suffering in view this morning. As I, as, as I want to draw your attention into this text and as you begin to thinking, there's a type of suffering that only Christians suffer. One I've mentioned, and that is being persecuted for their faith. Another one is, as you heard Tracy read our text this morning, this type of suffering that is befitting to those who have called upon the name of the Lord and, and understand and realize that this world is not our home. And not only is this world not our home, but this world, this world will never complete us. This world will never satisfy us. This world will never satisfy our deepest longings. And as Christians who know where those deepest longings and where those deepest needs can be met, and we know that those are going to be met in the world to come, there is a certain suffering and a certain longing that we do, that the world doesn't do. And so this morning, as we, I just want you to begin to think about suffering. And, and I want to look at where we ended our study some time ago in the book of Romans in chapter 8. And uh, in verse 17 was the last verse that we covered. And it's, it's interesting. Notice in this verse it says, And if children heirs also, heirs of God... And fellow heirs with Christ. And I think we would love it sometimes if the verse just ended there. Because Paul begins to, uh, I think, muddy the waters in our American minds a little bit when he throws this other phrase in here. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So there's something about our union with Christ there's something about our union with Christ that leads us into suffering. You know, if we were to go back through this chapter, and, and I'm just going to briefly kind of catch us back up, but in verses 1 through 17 of this chapter, it talks about how the power of sin and the power of death has been broken on the cross, and that Jesus came and He, he did that. And, and it goes and it contrasts through the life the contrast to a life walking in the flesh. And that the life that walks according to the flesh equals death. It equals hostility towards God. And that we can't even please God. And that is contrasted with walking in the Spirit, which we are told brings life. And so it's interesting, as Paul is contrasting this, and as Paul is saying that walking in the Spirit, and that's what it means to be a believer, and that's what it means to be given these promises, that walking according to the Spirit, bringing life, that he were to also talk about in that, that if you're walking according to the Spirit, you will suffer. Interesting, right? Interesting. I want you to look at verse 10. In verse 10 in chapter 8, notice that Paul is setting us up here. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of Christ. The body is dead. So there's something, there's a difference between this mortal body that we're in and the spirit of God living in us that has transformed us. 
then look at these great promises that happens when the Spirit is living within us. This great promise in chapters in verse 14 through 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading back, leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. And what is going on and what's in light of this text is this is Paul saying that all who have called upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile, you have received the promise, the promise of being children of God. And not only children of God, but all the promise of God that you are now heirs of God, heirs with Jesus Christ. Provided we suffer. So, until we are home or until the Lord returns and fulfills this promise, we will suffer. And we see this all over the Bible. Um, and, and part of what Paul is doing here, or the thing that Paul is doing here, is that Paul is telling us that, and you all can help me with this, these phrases, those who blank to the end will be saved. Endure. In the book of Revelation, I was reading this morning in the book of Revelation, uh, and it talks about the churches in the book of Revelation overcoming and what happens if they don't overcome. And so what Paul is, Paul is very mindful of and where he wants to encourage us and where I want to encourage you is that it is vitally important, nothing is more important but that we endure and overcome the suffering that would tempt us to despair and tempt us to give up our faith. And the goal this morning is for this word to encourage and help us and for you to see uh, in a minute, I'm going to tell you two things that Paul talks about, the promise and the power and how that helps us endure and thrive in the midst of suffering. But I want to start with the problem. And this is very simplistic, but I think it's important that we get this. And then I want to start with the problem and look at the perversion that has gotten into our churches. The problem with suffering, right, is that our churches have, are divided on how we deal with suffering. I think many churches don't have a biblical view of suffering. And I think this comes from human nature. Human nature, we were, we were created to avoid pain. And I was going to, but uh, I would have been overruled very quickly by the elders. I think some of them, some of them would have allowed me to do this, to stick pins in certain one of your seats. And none of you, if you had feeling in your rear end when you sat on that pin, would say, oh, this is nice. What would have happened? Ow! Right? A jump, you know? Um, when you get near a fire, when you slowly get near a fire, not like a kid that just lunges at something, but slowly get near a fire, when it gets too hot, you recoil. We know that psychologically we were made, we were made to avoid pain psychologically even. There's this phenomenon that I see quite a bit, that someone who goes through a horrific 
tragedy in their life, particularly when they're young, they have this psychological ability to block that memory out. And that's the body's way of avoiding pain. Now, what's interesting is, is that this is not how God calls us to deal with suffering. But I want to say that I think that there are many perversions of how to deal with suffering. And I want to name just three of them. Three of these perversions on on how some churches are promoting to deal with suffering. And I'm not going to name pastors or throw them under the bus. Rather, what I would want us to do is to look into these three perversions and to understand that we carry these perversions within us. The first one, it's what's called the health and wealth gospel. Or the prosperity gospel. And, and this is a teaching that is very prevalent. And one of the things that is according to the health and wealth gospel is that if you are living like you are supposed to live, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. You won't get sick. You'll, have, you'll prosper financially. These type of things. That's not a clear and accurate reading of the Bible. I, I have, there are two instances that I share where I've run into people who espouse this. One is there was a, one, of the, one of the most godly men that I know. Not perfect. He has sin in his life. He is a sinner. Uh, he got prostate cancer. His kids work in the business with him. And I'll never forget, I was there talking with his kids. His kids were scared because... Dad's got cancer and this sort of thing. And a a man walks in trying to be very helpful. And he begins asking uh, this young man, uh, what did your dad do? And he said, what do you mean? What sin is in your dad's life that he would get prostate cancer? And I was very proud of this young man. I I would have been tempted to slap somebody. But this young man uh, said, you know, my dad is a sinner. But you need to understand that... Bad things happen to people who are following the Lord. There's not an equation in the Bible. There's not a formula in the Bible that espouses that. Now, before we, you know, before we beat up on this group too much, how often do we do a very similar type of thing? That when troubles or hardships come our way, how often do we complain in our spirit or in our prayer life? And, and our prayers are kind of circulated around, you know, God, if you really loved me, then you wouldn't let this hardship come into my life. That is a version of that health and wealth gospel. That being loved by God equals having health and financial prosperity. Now, you can go to the Bible and find verses where God says that he is going to prosper the righteous. And there are many times that God has given many of us many good gifts and we need to rejoice over those, not begrudgingly uh, accept the goodness that God brings our way, but we need to realize that those are tastes, minor taste of what is to come. The promise of health and prosperity is in the new heavens and in the new earth. I'm going to keep going. The second perversion that I see quite a bit espoused from churches is this whole idea of avoidance. That as people of God, we need to avoid pain and to avoid suffering. Uh, I was at a church one time that had uh, just beautiful, like 18 acres of cleared, like farmland. 
And it was interesting. I had two or three people, uh, we had two or three people kind of approach us about kind of starting a commune. They didn't call it that. You don't call it that, because that, but that's what they were saying. And at the base of all of it, you know, and it's a good motivation is, you know, wouldn't it be easier to live the Christian life if we just circled the wagons and just kind of, you know, raised our own chickens and this sort of thing? Um, the, the problem with that is twofold, right? The, pro, the twofold problem with that is that, one, we are called to be salt and light in this world. And if we avoid and circle the wagons and try to push out any of that, um, then we're not doing our job. There's really three problems. The second problem with that is, how many church folk does it take to have a good disagreement? And thirdly, I believe that God would love you enough to bring suffering and tragedy to that commune so that you would walk and depend upon Him. But we do this, don't we? In the, in the face of pain, in the face of turmoil, in the face of suffering, we have to fight that inclination to, to shrink back and to isolate and to feel like that we have no place in this world. The third perversion of how to deal with suffering uh, is kind of going the opposite way. And, and I don't know if you've been around these type folks, but I certainly have and have been guilty actually been guilty of this one as well, all three of these, but guilty of this one as well. And it's this whole idea that you're not a true Christian unless you're always running into suffering. You understand what I mean by this? Like, you know, early on in church history, there were evidences of, you know, people would kind of beat themselves to show how holy they were. And that there, there always needed to be a, a form of suffering taking place. Um. You know, I, I just thought of this name of, you know, calling this like the deprivation gospel. Meaning that we're constantly depriving ourselves to prove how holy and how good that we are. Meaning that we, you know, I'm, I'm thankful this is not. But you all understand and have probably been around someone and, and there's, there's just a lot of arrogance to that. Right? A lot of arrogance to that mindset that, uh, that I can um, increase my holiness by increasing my suffering. And that God doesn't call us to suffer all the time. God gives us good gifts and expects us to rejoice in those good gifts and be glad that we've been given those good gifts. My hope and prayer that you all in the new year, that, that some of you all got together, I know that some of you did and had celebrations and ate together, and my hope and prayer is that those good times were times of good fellowship, of good-hearted cheer, that you ate really good food, and that you celebrated well. God calls us to do that sort of thing as well. Now, I think these three perversions... Uh, obviously come from um, taking verses out of context in the Bible and not understanding what the Bible has to say about suffering. And so I wanted to real quickly do a survey um, of suffering in the Bible, starting in the book of Genesis. And I'm not going to go book through book. But starting in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses uh, 16 to 17. 
This is God speaking to Eve after they had fallen. And he said to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. But both thorns and thistles shall grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And what we see is that as Adam and Eve fail, what happened is it didn't only affect them and their relationship with one another and their relationship with God, but it corrupted everything about them and everything about our world. So suffering was put into this world so that we cannot be a citizen of this world and not go through suffering. In Job, which many believe is the first book actually written in the Old Testament, we have God allowing Satan to cause great suffering to Job. And then at the end of the book of Job, we see Job learn this great, mighty truth about God. So from the very beginning of biblical uh, uh, scholarship, what we have and the, 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 the thing that's there is what we have in the book of Job. And I love this. He, essentially, he says, I have heard rumors of you, but now I see you. This process through the book of suffering of God drawing Job close to him. This righteous man, Job. In Isaiah chapter 53, you all are, many of you are familiar with this. It talks about Jesus, the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, who came and is who bore our pain and our suffering, and he's empathetic to us. We have Jesus in his very words in the Gospels telling us to take up our cross and follow him. Jesus also says in the book of John, John records Jesus saying, do not be surprised when the world hates you. Jesus there is talking about His union with God, the Spirit's union with the Father and the Son, and our union with, with, with the Trinity. And it says, so don't be surprised because the world hated me, it's going to hate you. There is going to be suffering and persecution. And then in the letters to the church, many of these... All of these, many of these except for two, are written by Paul. But in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. He doesn't say that he takes away the afflictions. He says that he comforts us so that we can comfort others who are in affliction and suffering. In chapter 4, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians, love this verse. It's a parallel to the verse we're going to get into momentarily. I love this verse. For the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond our compare. That not only is the suffering going to be there and a part of this world, but it does something in us. It is producing something in us. In the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him, Jesus, in the power of His resurrection 
with the fellowship and in the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And then in 1 Peter, two verses there. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The reason I go through all those verses is because I don't want you taking my word for it. I want you knowing from the word of God when Tracy gets up here and says something like some preacher somewhere said, I want you to see it from the word. And just from that brief survey of the word, it should be drilled in our head that we suffer. Suffering is a part of who we are. And it's our job as pastors to prepare you for suffering. And this is what Paul was doing as he wrote to the people in the church at Rome as he was preparing them to suffer. And I've said earlier, I think he was preparing them to to suffer in two ways. One is in persecution. In verse 36 of this chapter, he says, Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I think and know that that was in his view. And the other from the context of these verses that we see that have been read to you that we know is that this world is not what it should be. And being a Christian in this world means you will suffer. And as he is heading into chapters 12 through 16 where he's talking about Christian living, that living as a Christian in this world means that you are going to be countercultural. If you are not, there is something wrong. And what happens when you're countercultural? You suffer. And so Paul is writing here. He's writing here to encourage them, to strengthen them so that they endure in the midst of this suffering. And there's two things that Paul gives us here. And we could kind of use these two and go through the rest of the chapter. But I'm just going to park here in verse 18. There's, there's two things that he gives us in this context and here in verse 18, to help us. And it's things that he gives us. And the two things he gives us are a promise and a power. And these are two tools to help us endure. So the first thing I want to look at is that Paul reminds us that that going through suffering, the way that we endure in suffering is that we have to look at the promise that has been Given us. And let's look at verse 18. It says, For I consider. Now, this word here in the Greek for consider is uh, that I have reasoned out. I have really thought through this. This is not a word, the, the connotation here is not, I have flippantly thought about this. This is, I have, I have considered, I have reckoned, I have really thought through this. So I've really thought through this. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And what we see as we look here is that Paul is drawing from these verses before 
that we are given a promise as believers. And the promise we're given as believers is that this world is not our home. That we are God's children. We are heirs with God if the Spirit of God indwells in us. And that we are given the promise that we will live with Him and that we will be with Him forever. And that in this being with Him and that in this living with Him forever... This wonderful, great thing is going to happen. And that is this thing that has to do with glory. Look at this verse. Verse 18, he he says, there are a couple of other times that we'll point out, but look at the end of verse 18. That the sufferings of this present time, meaning this age, there's another one to come, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us in that other age. In, in this phrase here at the end where it says the glory that is going to be revealed to us, it's not just like, hey, you're shown this on a piece of paper. The word has to do with the glory that is going to be, it's going to encompass you. The word is kind of like the, the, the glory that's going to be like inward, revealed, manifested to you and out of you. We are going to be made as Christians to be who we are supposed to be. Look in verse 19. Again, the same thing. For the anxious longing, so he personifies creation here to drive home his point. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That in this day, in this new age, The glory of God is going to be in us. We're going to be glorified. And this is something so great that even creation itself is awaiting and longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Again, in verse 21, the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom. Into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Of God. And so the promise that we're given here from Paul is that in this future age, it's not worth even comparing to the momentary light affliction you're going through now because you are going to receive the glory as heirs and the glory as children of God. And in this glory, in this time, we will see him as we're supposed to see him. Can you even imagine that? That the garbage that goes on in our head, the limitations of these bodies, of these eyes, of these ears to to hear and to see and to experience God, that they will be no more and we will see Him as He is to be seen. We will glorify Him as He is to be glorified. We will have fellowship with Him as we were created to have fellowship with Him. And we'll be satisfied as we were created to be satisfied. As Christians, if those who have placed their hope in Jesus and have experienced new birth, have experienced salvation, 
you have a taste of this and you understand when I use this language, there should raise up within you. I think the Holy Spirit raises up within us a amen. A Maranatha. God, may it happen. But as fallen creatures whose bodies are giving way and decaying and not what they're supposed to be, we need to be reminded, and this is what Paul is doing to the church, he's reminding them of the promises of God because as fallen creatures who are saved, who are limping our way into glory, we've got to be reminded of these wonderful promises of God because we are tempted to despair when suffering comes. We're tempted to buy into the lie when suffering comes that God doesn't love me or that God has just forgotten about me. We are tempted to look at lesser things to complete us and to fill us. We're tempted to, uh, uh, do you all know the phrase YOLO? And I'm hip. Yeah, I got some smiles back here from some teenagers. YOLO means you only live once. Now you are hip. And hip means cool for some of you. Uh, but that's a phrase. That's the phrase of our culture, right? You only live once. And so get it while you can. Meaning this world contains your satisfaction. And so your goal in this world is to get it while you can. Maximize your financial success. Maximize your marriage success. Eliminate suffering. That's not what we were created to be as Christians. But I think we get tempted into that mind frame. You know, what's really interesting is when in counseling a lot of times, when dealing with someone who's going through suffering, um, when I start to talk about that we were not created to live in a world where no suffering happens or where it doesn't affect us, a lot of times people's eyes just gloss over. And it's sad and it, it just oh, it just tugs at my heart. But what it demonstrates is that their hope and their hope of glory is in something in this world. And brothers and sisters, as Christians, our hope and our glory can never terminate on any happiness or goodness that this world has to offer. Those are just tastes of what God has in store for those who love him. So our call in this is to endure. And we endure by looking at the promises set before us. Secondly, and I think this is maybe where we need the most help. Secondly, in these verses, Paul tells us the power, the power that helps us endure and to get through um, the suffering. And that power is the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 11. Of this chapter. In verse 11 it says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you. And it's real interesting what Paul is doing here. He is saying that the, the, the same power. That is in the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Is in you. And this same power will give life to you so that you can make it. Because I think sometimes when we hear those promises, and you even hear maybe sermons on holding on to the promises, that one of the things that happens to us if we're going through a really difficult, dark time is 
we say, I can't. And that's the point. You're not asked to. It's the Spirit of God inside of you that gives you that power to endure. In fact, look in verse 16. It's the Spirit Himself that testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. It's the Spirit of God in us when we hear the promises of God and when we hear about sonship and being a daughter of God. It's the Spirit that wells up in us and says, that's right, yes, You are his children. You are his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. And not only that, but look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Have you ever, I sure have, have you ever been in a place in your life where you don't even know how to pray for yourself. Maybe it's in the midst of uh, some kind of moral failure. Maybe it's in the midst of some kind of pain and heartache and suffering. And you don't even know how to pray, but you go to God. And you're just honest before Him with those groanings. And you allow the Holy Spirit to take those groanings and to pray as we should to our Father. This is a powerful, powerful gift that helps us to endure. Doubts and suffering lead to despair. And we need to take that to God. We need to open His Word and tell Him that we're desperate for help. We need to open our Bible in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardships. We need to open God's word and go hard after promises and then rely on God's spirit to apply those towards us, to to begin to work that out in us. We need to meditate on these promises. We need to pray these promises. And we need to groan at times in our prayers and trust that the spirit will intercede for us. And so as I've been uh, preparing for this sermon, a a word keeps coming to my head. uh, And it it was a word that I was listening to a a series on manhood. And uh, the the author of this uh, series used this word in a different context. But I thought it fits here. And it's my challenge to us. My challenge to us as we go through suffering, as we... You know, some of you may be being persecuted for stands that you're taking. Some of you may be being persecuted because you're witnessing. Some of you may be in these situations. Others of you just may be suffering due to the effects of living in a fallen world as a believer. And one of the things that I want to encourage you, and what Paul is trying to encourage us, and we'll really spend the rest of this chapter doing, is really a call to be courageous. And that one of the things that we have to do is that we've got to take courageous stands on the truth. And we've got to to battle internal things that would cause us to despair or cause us to uh, tell ourselves things that aren't true. And we've got to be courageous in these. Don't be paralyzed. You've got to come out of the room. You've got to come off the compound. 
And we can be courageous because the promise of God is sure. And the reason the promise of God is sure is because his spirit is the one who ensures it. And it's by that power. And so we must be courageous and not be paralyzed. So when suffering comes. We don't try to fix it by being better. But what we do is we learn how to live courageously through it. How to take that next step forward. Sometimes it takes all the courage to open up the word. Sometimes it takes all the courage for us to begin to utter those prayers. It takes courage in the midst of suffering. But some of the most wonderful testimonies I've ever seen is in the midst of suffering... Instead of thinking about ourselves and the pain and the turmoil we're in, that we begin to love others and begin to be focused on loving others in the midst of that pain and in the midst of that suffering. And I want to tell you where I have learned this from you all, and I won't call out names, but I can just tell you that I've seen it happen and I've learned from you all quite a bit in this, and that is this. Several times, even over this past year, year and a half, two years, I've been with you all in the midst of your suffering. And as I'm sitting there with you, I am, if this makes sense, self-absorbed for you. Does that make sense? I'm thinking about your pain. I'm thinking about your turmoil. And then all of a sudden, someone walks by, and I've seen many of you grab someone and say, let me, let me tell you about Jesus. Or, or you've done a kind deed for somebody else in the midst of all this suffering and pain. And... Then I've seen the fruits of that. We've got to be courageous in the midst of suffering. And we've got to know that in the midst of suffering and in the midst of our pain, and we will see this the rest of this chapter, that God still has a plan and a purpose for your life to love Him with everything that's in you and to love others. And so Paul wants us to know, and I want you to know as one of your pastors, That the way to endure, one of the ways, very important ways, to endure suffering in this world and to make it to the end is to live courageously by trusting in the promises of God and believing in the power that brings those promises to fruition. Let's pray. God, I am not unaware that at this very moment in this room that there are those that are suffering and going through hardships. And God, it is my prayer, Lord, that maybe even just as Tracy read some of your promises in this in the verses this morning, that God, that was encouragement, that your Holy Spirit just applied those verses to that brother or sister's life. And that they needed to hear that this morning. They needed to hear your word. God, I just pray for a work, a mighty work of your spirit right now. God, I pray that you would give courage and boldness to these brothers and sisters that are suffering. God, I pray that they would act, that they would do it, that they would stand courageously, that they would go to you, they would open your word and that they would love others in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the suffering. God, for the rest of us 
who aren't going through an amount of suffering that we would call suffering. We're all suffering to some degree, but for the rest of us, Lord, God, I pray that you would just etch these promises on our minds and in our soul so that we won't despair, so that we won't give up, so that we won't lose heart but that we can confirm that we are your children because we endure. God, I just uh, thank you for the gift of your Spirit who does far more than what we could even imagine. All this is possible only through your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.